All right, Ephesians 3. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Okay, this is so great. Um, Paul just interrupted himself in his own letter. Um, so I, th- I think what was happening was he was just about to pray for us. And, and we're going to get into that prayer um, next week. Um, but first, apparently he had something else he wanted to tell us, so he interrupted himself. He wants to tell us, though, first, what happened when the grace of God got a hold of him. And so um, we got the text up here on the screen. See how many times you can count um, Paul using the words grace and mystery, and then I'll ask you at the end, okay? So here we go. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The next slide. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Okay, anybody count? How many times did Paul use the word grace? Three. And how how about the word mystery? Four, yes. So Paul's message, it's all about this mystery of God's grace. And, and when you hear the word mystery, um, don't picture something that we'll never know, that we'll never be able to understand. The idea is that it's, it's covered up, but then it's something that's meant to be revealed. It's something that's meant to be shown to people. And so um, Paul's saying the mystery had been kind of kept under wraps for a while, but now it's, it's been unveiled. And so um, he's, that's, that's, this is the mystery that he has to share with us, God's grace. Last week, we learned about these walls that were up between the Jewish insiders and the religious outsiders, or the others. Um, when, when you think of others, uh, Paul has his, has his others. It's the, it's the Gentiles, it's the nations, it's those outside the Jewish faith. But, but nowadays, we also have people that maybe we would say there are religious insiders uh, to the way of Jesus. And then there's outsiders, there's others. There's people who would say, uh, for whatever reason, I feel disqualified to be any part of any kind of church circle or enjoy any kind of life with God, or they would say, I don't want any, any, any part of that, or um, they, they, it's just not even on their radar at all. But for us, there's people that we think, when we see empty chairs next to us, that we just go, man, God, it would just be so great if this person or this family or this person that I work with, if they came to know you and to know your life. Um, but Lord, I, I know there's different obstacles and barriers between you and them or between them and the church or, or other things. So our prayer is like, God, what can be done about some of those obstacles? What can be done about those barriers? And Paul wants us to know that Jesus tore that wall down. Jesus tore down those barriers. But in Paul's day, there were people who were benefiting from that system where there was a wall in place. They were benefiting uh, from a system where the wall was up and certain people were out and, and then certain people were in. But Paul preached that the wall was down and this got him into trouble with the insiders. 
Paul's message was that a mystery had been revealed, and the mystery was that in Jesus, the Gentile outsiders now had full inclusion, full access and membership into what Jesus had been doing um, through his ministry. Now Jesus has torn down that wall, and now they get to be full members of this thing with the Jewish insiders. Um, there's this story in the Gospels that I really like where um, some, uh, some Greeks come to uh, Andrew and Philip, um, and they say, sir, uh, we'd like to see Jesus. And um, I almost want to, like, put that up on, on like, uh, on, on this uh, music stand, any, any kind of pulpit in the future. Sir, I'd, I'd like to see Jesus, because because when, um, whenever I, I give a message, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm in a good place and I'm thinking about serving you and I'm excited about what to share with you, but sometimes I'm in my own head and I'm thinking, you know, is, is this connecting or is this helpful or is this, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about myself versus what um, this, this time is supposed to be for. And um, I just, I want those words in front of me all the time. Sir, I'd, I'd like to see Jesus that that's what this time would be for as we, as we open up our Bibles, that we would, we would have an encounter with God. We'd see his face. We'd hear his voice. We'd go, wow, uh, God was really speaking to me during that time. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll want to be the best messenger I can be, but I really want to do a good job of pointing you guys to Jesus, that you have an encounter with him. He's, he's the goal. He's the point of all this. And so Paul's message was an answer to that request. Sir, I'd, I'd like to see Jesus. The Gentile outsiders got full inclusion into what Jesus had been doing. And now Jesus has taken these two groups, the insiders and the outsiders, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's united them. He's made them one. And this united group is called the church. And in the original language, the word Paul uses is the word ecclesia. Try saying that, ecclesia. So it's, uh, it's a combo of two words, ek, which is out, and then kaleo, which is to be called. Um, so we put those together, the ecclesia, it's the called out ones, the ones who've been called out. And in Paul's day, this was a word that was, uh, common, uh, that was common in his world. Um, it described any group of people who were called together to further some cause of their city. So, you know, we have these kinds of meetings all the time. If, you know, a new freeway is going to go in or questions about schools or things, neighborhood improvements, There'll be, there'll be meetings all the time, and people will be called out together for the cause of their city. And that w- that's an ecclesia. The church, now Paul borrows this word to describe the church, and it, it gets even bigger in the Christian story because the church, God's ecclesia, is a group of people who are called together to further God's kingdom, God's city, His purpose. And there was a time when a lot more people would be excited about being a part of something like that. Um, but lately, a lot of people are wondering, why, why should I bother with the church? Why, why bother with that? Um, you and I live in a post-Christian city. I don't know if you've ever lived in other places where you, you were less of a cultural minority, where more of your friends and neighbors uh, lived and believed and thought as you did. Um, maybe it's pretty disrupting for you to be in, in an environment like this. Or maybe you've been around that environment all the time and you don't, it, it, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not as stark for you. But this is a post-Christian city and, and sometimes it can cause you to wonder, like, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, like, are they, is it better for them? Is it right for them to, like, piece together their own version of spirituality, like, just kind of however they see fit? Is that, is that the best way for them to live? Is, or is, is, it, is it okay if they don't practice any kind of faith whatsoever? 
Um, there's, there's an entire category of, of people that wasn't there before, um, statistically, um, who identify as nuns. And don't picture, you know, old ladies in black and white habits um, in, in a Catholic church. Nuns as in nothing, as in um, non-faith. And so there's a whole group of people who, if you asked them, you know, are you Buddhist, Hindu, Christian? They would say, oh, I'm, I'm not anything. There's this whole group that's rising up that would just say, I'm, I'm none. These days, is it better to live as a non-faith person? Have they chosen what's better? Is that the more progressive, forward way to do things? Should we just jettison this whole church thing and leave this behind? Does religion cause problems? Does it get in the way? Is that a better way to live? But, but let's say that's not your approach. Let's say you would say, no, I'm, I'm not a nun. I have, I, have, I have faith. I have Jesus. Isn't that enough to, to have Jesus? There, there, are, there are Christians who will create their own version of Christianity that's all about their personal relationship with Jesus, and it has nothing to do with any other group of people being connected and united and committed to anybody else in, in any other way. And usually, if you dig a little bit deeper, they say, my church is my favorite coffee shop spot and my Bible's cracked open, or my, my, my church is me out in creation. If you dig a little deeper, the reason that for, for that is usually that somebody's been very hurt or disappointed in a, in a church circle. And so being out in creation at their favorite coffee spot, something that they can control, that feels spiritual, but it also feels safe. And that's, just, that's, just, that's all they're open to right now. And uh, it's, it's good to get into the reasons and the understanding and understand where they're coming from and not just jump on them for that, but there's a real reason there. There's probably some pain. Others might not have church-related pain, but in the back of their mind, they're just, they're just kind of bored or they don't really see the point of it, and they're just wondering, like, why, why should I bother with the church in the first place? Like, what's the point? What, how does my connection to a church community bring any good to my life or to the world? Like, what's the point? I, couldn't I just spend my time and energy in lots of other ways? And, and that person might not say it. They might be in a church circle, in a community group, in a seat, but if you, I don't know, had some kind of spiritual x-ray to be able to see under the surface what's going on, they, they've got one foot in and one foot out, and they're just, they're ready to step away at any point whenever their connection to a church just isn't doing it for them anymore. They're, they're, they're ready to step away because they're just not really sure what the point is. So I just, I just want to get some things out of the way um, right here and now as we're getting started. Um, if it hasn't happened to you already, people at reunion will let you down. It's going to happen. Um, I will let you down as your pastor. Um, you will let yourself down uh, in community settings or in, in things with other people. Um, you will let others down. It's going to happen. You, you and I can start off with this thing, like all starry-eyed and fresh and excited to throw ourselves into whatever's happening here, but then we have conflict with somebody. Or we're not really crazy about how we gather. We're, we're just like, ah, you know, maybe over that other, uh, at that other place or that other thing or something I've been a part of in the past. I, I like that better. This thing, I'm, I'm not really feeling it. Or there was something about this place or how we do things that you were hoping that maybe if you threw yourself into it, you could bring some improvement to it. You could bring some change to it. But time goes on and it's not really changing. At that point, when those things happen, do we, do we give up on church? It's, it's safe to say that from what Paul has just told us about the church, Paul wants us to know that God has not abandoned the church. Words of correction he might have for a church, he isn't quitting on the church. 
He's still building and refining his church. But, but where are we at with the church? Uh, let's chat about this with, with um, two other people around us. Um, and here's the question. How has how your relationship with the church gone through different stages throughout the years? Um, what words would you describe your evolving attitude towards the church? Uh, so let's, let's get to know each other a little bit in this way. So uh, groups of like two or three tops. Uh, let's, talk, let's chat about this. Go for it. So what, what would be some words, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing, some words that would describe your evolving attitude towards the church uh, throughout the years? Some words when people want to throw ones out? What would be a word? Not connected, Not connected. yeah? Attendee. Other? Attendee. Uh-huh. Disillusion. Any other words? Yeah. Disappointment. Yeah. Obligatory. Yeah. 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 All right. Unrealistic expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Community and and freedom from shame. Cool. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um yeah. But you guys are like human thesauruses. Thesaurus-i? Thesaurus? I don't know. Like some really good words out there. Man, obligatory. Yeah. So, so wherever we're at, um, yeah, the, the, thesaur- the, the thesaurus. Yeah, that's, that's Michael's favorite dinosaur. The thesaurus rex. Yeah. So, um, so wherever we're at with church, uh, if it's pain, if it's disappointment, if it's this feeling of why bother, or, or hope and excitement, wherever we're at. Um, this morning, Paul wants us to know that the church has a central place in God's plan. Um, and if the church has a central place in God's plan, what does that mean for the place that the church has in our lives, if we're Christ followers? What's the place that God has for the church in his plan? If you're taking notes, it's uh, three things. Next slide. Um, the church is, hey, Taylor. Hey, Taylor. I need the next slide, please. Um, so the, uh, so it's three things if you're taking notes. Um, the church is central to history. Uh, the church shows the world what God is like, and the church is worth the pain. So that's kind of our table of contents where we're going for the rest of our time together. Um, so first, the church is central to history. Here's what Paul has to say about this in verse six. He says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And then skipping down to verse 10, his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal purpose, rulers and authorities, we've got to talk about all this. So, so Paul is telling us that God's been up to something. He has a plan that he's been working out. And Paul tells us that this plan was something that God came up with before time was time. Um, and God kept that plan hidden for ages. That's why he's using this word mystery. But now that plan has been revealed through Jesus. And what's this divine plan? God has been at work since before time. This new about human history to create this new and reconciled humanity. This new and reconciled humanity that is unified in Jesus And the expression of this new and reconciled humanity that's in union with Jesus, the form that it takes in the world is the church. That was what God was up to in the past so that he could bring about a new kind of future. If you ask, like, how how is God's future realized? It's through God's church. Maybe you could say that the church is what God's future 
looks like. Now, that sounds like a great bumper sticker, um, but many of us have gotten our hopes up uh, for a church that points people to God's future, but then we hang around in certain church circles and our hope for that, our excitement about that, the dreams for that just get snuffed out as we look around and we don't see a church of God's future. If anything, we see that groups of, of Christians, it seems like they're dragging people back into some kind of past that we would want to leave behind. Um, are Christians known for innovation in the world? Are, they, are Christians known for creativity? If, if somebody says, oh, Christians, yeah, those are the people who are always pushing things forward and, 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 and making things better for humanity. Or are Christians known for fearful reaction? Are, are churches places where women are unleashed? Or is it a place where women are stifled? Uh, is God's ecclesia, is it, is it welcoming to outsiders? Or when you show up, does it feel like a private club? Is God the compassionate king of this multinational group of people who are learning to give their lives for the sake of the world? Or does God seem like he's just an old white man who's invested in the interests of old white men? Well, it, it all depends. It depends on the ecclesia. There, there are ecclesias all over the world that you would step into that place and feel like, yeah, this place is pulling people backwards. This is not leading people into God's good future. But then there are other ecclesias that are, are leaning into God's good future, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, is Reunion going to be a church that puts God's future on display? Is, is Reunion going to be a place that's leaning into God's good future? Well, a lot of that depends on me and, and you and the people to your left and your right. The church... Paul wants us to know is central to God's purposes in history. And now, uh, Paul wants us to know the church shows the world what God's like. So here, here's what I don't, a detail I don't want you to miss. The, we, we read this in verse 10. He says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The rulers and authorities. That's, that's language. The angels are watching. God knows where he's taking everything. God knows the good future that he is leading the whole world towards. He knows the good future that's in store for all things. He knows the good future that he wants to bring about through his church. But angels don't have the ability to see into the future. From what Paul tells us, it's like we're meant to see ourselves as actors on this world stage, this like cosmic drama is being played out, and the angels are watching. They're watching God's ecclesias all over the world, and they have no idea how this whole thing is going to work out. And Paul says, when the church puts God's good future on display, it reveals his manifold wisdom. Um, manifold is, 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 a, is a one word to describe a, a really cool word. Um, in the original language, the word manifold is polypoikilos. Try saying that, polypoikilos. Go for it. Nice. So poly uh, is, the, is the word for many, and then poikilos, uh, other words would be like varieties or colors. Um, so it's like this last Friday, I was at um, the farmer's market in Old Oakland, and all along the street, there was just these explosions of color as I walked past all the produce. And uh, this is an actual picture. I mean, there was a bunch of other pictures I could have shown you, but everywhere you went, it was just like beautiful. Like uh, you, you eat with your eyes first. And so these farmers, they know what they're doing when they, they lay it out. You're just like, oh man, I need like 10 pounds of that. Um, I'm gonna eat it all this afternoon. 
And there's all these varieties, and it's gorgeous. And the church, at its best, has room for all varieties of people. And that was the problem that we heard about last week. There was a wall that kept out the others. There was only the Jewish insiders for a very long period of time, and the outsiders were out. And the thing about that wall is it's holding back all of the diversity, all of the variety that is waiting uh, to be put on display. All of that is, is out, and it's just this homogenous, kind of boring kind of thing where it's just a lot of same. And so because the wall's down, it invites all the variety and diversity in. And so we should expect to see a church that makes room for difference. Um, even just this morning for, for the worship, it was beautiful. There's a, a variety of instruments and a variety of ethnicities. I love that. For, for um, even at this baby stage of, of where we're at as a church, that we're already, that God's already providing people who uh, have different musical giftings and also that we're all coming from different parts of the world or that our, our, our parents or grandparents came from different parts of the world and that we're all together. It's the most beautiful thing to see a group of people, what a cool picture, and then working in, in melody and harmony to, to create this united thing. Like what a cool picture of, of the church and that's in musical form, but that can take place in, in all kinds of ways. Now that the wall is down, we should be a church that's making room for all this variety, all this difference, and, and, and being united in our efforts. And we're not downplaying the different things that people bring. We go, okay, we have a part for you to play and for you to play and you to play almost exactly as you are. You know, the, the, these guys could tell you on the worship team all the adaptations they have to do and all the things they have to do to, to have a united effort where uh, to, 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 to make space for each other and to count each other in and to make adjustments to the music so that we can bring out the best in each other. Um, but what a beautiful picture of the church. And I just want to thank you guys uh, so much this morning for, for that, that image that's going to stick with me. And that's what the angels get to see all the time. The angels get to see, in, in God's ecclesia, people who shouldn't get along, and they're getting along. The angels are watching people who shouldn't belong together becoming this new kind of family. Paul says the angels are watching this cosmic drama being played out on the world stage, and when they see a church full of people who shouldn't get along and belong, and they're becoming this united ecclesia, this new kind of family, it puts God's gorgeous manifold wisdom on display. And they're just like, that was amazing, God. I don't know how you did that. I did not see that coming, but wow. Why bother with the church? That's why. That's why. Why should we put up with each other? Why should we work through conflict? Why should we make room for our differences? Why should we celebrate diversity? Because that is the path towards God's good future. That's where he's taking this whole thing. And the church is meant to be how God carries this whole thing forward. We put that future on display for Oakland and for the angels. I think that's a pretty cool thought. Angels who would say, God, wow, I never saw that coming. But you're so wise and incredible. I don't know how you brought all that together, but you did. So um, let's talk about this with two of our neighbors. And if you already shared, um, let somebody else speak up first, and then if there's time, you can get a word in too. But how, how does a beautifully diverse church communicate what God is like? What does it say about his character, his nature, his essence, if, there's, if it's a beautifully diverse church? All right, let's group up and talk about that. So not only is the church central to history, and, and also it shows uh, the world and the angels what God is like, um, it's worth the pain. 
And so this is what Paul says in verse 6. He says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. And then skipping down to verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, this is, this is the first time that we get any kind of hint that Paul is not doing good. This letter has been so, like, grateful and explosive and just all this amazing stuff that he's sharing. And you're like, wait, what? What's, what's going on? Paul's suffering? Paul um, is in jail. He is, in, he's, he is under Roman uh, guard, house arrest. Um, because he saw that his role in God's story was to put everything on the line, to pay any price so that God's church would become a reality. He was a pioneer, and he was breaking up the ground for this. And he tells the Christians in Ephesus, don't lose heart over the things that I'm suffering for you guys right now. He says, my suffering is for your glory. And in the Christian life, suffering and glory go hand in hand. Jesus said that he was going to enter his glory, but how? through suffering, through the cross, not around it, not away from it. And he said that his followers were going to have to walk the same road. He says, a servant's not greater than his master. If, if they've opposed me, if they've rejected me, you should expect that that's what's going to happen if you, if you line yourself up with me. When God called Paul, he said, I'm going to show Paul how much he's going to suffer for my name. Many of the religious insiders did not welcome this unveiled mystery of God's grace, that the outsiders now get to be full members of this community and what God's up to in the world. Well, what about all the things that we've, we've suffered as the Jews? What about all, these, all the, 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 the things that we've had to go through, all these hoops we've had to jump through in order to put God's wisdom on display for the world? Now, are we saying all this is, you know, th- those guys don't have to jump through these same hoops to be a part of this? And they were scandalized by it. They opposed Paul's message. And so, Paul is suffering in prison on behalf of the Ephesian Christians, but he says, you guys, don't worry. This is all part of the plan. My suffering is for your glory. Maybe another way he would have said it is, hey, church, you're, you're worth the pain. You're worth it. But maybe another way to say it is with guacamole. You heard me right, guacamole. Um, Sarah is the guacamole chef in our house. Uh, she makes it easy. She makes it look easy. Uh, so easy, in fact, that many times I've thought, oh, I could do that. And then I, I try, and I remember one time making it, it's, it's not that great when, when I make it. Um, Sarah, I was all, I've, I, made, I remember one time making it one time, and I hadn't tasted it yet. I just thought, oh, I'm sure I nailed it, and I let Sarah taste it, and she was very kind, but you could just see in her face, like, how do I break this to him gently? Um, it's just not that great when I make it. So I'm going to invite Sarah up here to, to uh, make us some guacamole, and then we've got a whole bunch of chips, and then at a certain point, you're going to taste and see for yourself why Sarah is the guac chef in our house, and not me. Um, so guacamole is made up of all kinds of ingredients, uh, avocados, which we have. So this is like a cooking show where you've got the like pre-made items in the bowls. This is great. I just finished reading the fly autobiography of Julia Child. Yes. <laughs> Channel the Julia Child this morning. Yes. So we've got the avocado. We've got tomatoes. Um, we've got red onions. We've got cilantro. We've got juice from a lime. We've got garlic. Got salt and pepper. Anything else, Chef Sarah? Is that, did I cover it? Yeah? Okay. All right, so here's the thing. At one point, all of these ingredients uh, were alive. They were growing up out of the ground. But the moment that they were harvested, they were cut from their life source, and they started to die. And the sooner you start serving up these ingredients, the more life they have to offer you. So better nutrition and better taste. The longer you wait, 
um, it gets gross. So the sooner you serve up these ingredients, the more life they have to offer you. And when it comes to guacamole, um, something had to die in order that we would experience life from this, in order that we'd experience that goodness and nutrition and everything. Um, maybe you could say that death is the engine of new life. And uh, not just in food, in our human relationships, think about times when you received life from another person. Somebody, if you received life, it's because somebody gave their life. Um, think about the people in your life who have been really important coaches or mentors, somebody who's spoken into your life, somebody who's taken the time to get to know you and your story and your strengths and your weaknesses, and they speak truth to you, and they paid attention to your life. And every time they, and every time they did that, they gave life to you. And every time they gave life to you, life went out of them. All the moms in the room, to bring your kids into the world, blood, sweat, tears, pain, to give life to somebody else, life went out of you. Think about, think about the, the music that has inspired you. Think about the movies that have just like lifted your soul or given you different perspective. Think about the books that have just meant so much to you throughout the years. That musician or that script writer or that author, they were broken and poured out. They poured out their life into that piece that they created that you got so much out of. Even that word inspire, maybe you would say that the music or the book or the movie was inspiring. Even that word inspiring, it means to breathe into. So they breathed out and you breathed in as the recipient of, of their art. They gave their life and you received it. Paul says, my suffering is for your glory. He says, I'm dying so that you guys can live. And he says, hey church, don't don't worry, you guys are worth the pain. Lately, have, have you been suffering? Lately, have you been going through it? Have, have you lost something that you had poured your life energies into? What, what words would describe what that feels like? Do you, do you feel robbed? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel depleted? Have you, have you been watching somebody that you care about struggle? And there's very little that you can do to relieve that struggle for them. Isn't that a helpless feeling to just like sit and watch that happen? And you just like, oh, I just wish you would make this choice or I wish you would go in this direction or I wish, maybe it's not something that's in their control, but you just, if, if I could heal, heal that or fix that, or I would, if I could snap my fingers. But again and again, this letter to the Ephesians offers them and us this brand new take on reality. Paul wants us to know, yeah, I'm suffering, but I'm not a victim. He is willingly giving his life for the sake of others. So what about us? What about what we're going through? What if God wants to reframe our loss and our suffering? What if God wants us to see it from a different perspective? What if we could willingly lose so that somebody else could gain? What if when we suffered we could offer it up to God and say, God, I don't know where this, all this is going. I don't know the point of all this. This hurts, this, this stinks, but God, I just, I'm gonna offer this up to you and if there's any way you can make this a part of what you're up to, for the sake of somebody else for something bigger than ourselves. All right, we ready? Almost. Almost? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're good. You're good. I just, I, I, there was a moment, I thought we were having a moment where you were signaling me, but 
No, no, you're going. No, no, you're doing great. <laughs> so, so Paul suffers. He, but not as a victim. He's not a victim. He is willingly giving his life for the sake of others so that God's ecclesia could be born. Paul knows that when Jesus gets a hold of us, our suffering, our death becomes this engine of new life. That's how the resurrection works. God can bring about something brand new in the shell of the old. This is the secret that the church carries into the world. Everywhere we go, every relationship, every environment, we carry the secret into the world where we know we can give our life energies to the others of this world, to the people that everybody else forgets and pushes aside, the people who don't make the world's VIP list, and it's not a waste for us to give ourselves to them, even if we don't see anything come out of it, even if we don't see any fruit, even if it seems backwards instead of forwards. We know God sees and he's called me to be here for these people. And God's calling out all these little ecclesias all over the world to center themselves around his purpose. And he calls ecclesias, which are groups, not individuals. This whole, like, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and that's my church, or I'm going to be out in creation and that's my church. I'm sorry, but that's not how it works. God calls ecclesias because we're not meant to do this alone. Other people's perspectives and gifts and the ways that they're going to challenge us and grow us, we need each other. We can do so much more together in his name than we can do alone. And that's why we bother with the church. That's why we're doing this thing. So here's a prophetic word for our ecclesia. Uh, but first, uh, oh my gosh, you, you guys, it, these, Sarah, these guys aren't even paying attention to me. They're just, I'm looking at them and they're just looking at the bowl and they're like, I need to get in on that. I'm hearing, I'm even hearing the like, the salivating. I can hear their, their salivary glands right now activated and they're ready for this. So um, the ushers are coming forward now and they're going to bring some chips and guacamole to you and then we can just holy let it guacamole. snake. Yeah, some holy guacamole. Wow, it's blessed. Okay. So this will be coming down the aisle, and you can enjoy this. And uh, yeah, there's just going to be a lot of tortilla chip cracking noises, and that's fine. Dive in, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let's go for it. So um, one more thing. <laughs> you got to test the product. Ooh, can I chew? Can I try two? Wait, wait, Daniel, I need one too. Can I have a chip? Please. Uh, yeah, I just need to test the product here. Wait, I need more. I need more. I need more. Okay. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry for the people who are hearing me crack the chips into the microphone. Sorry. Don't worry, I'll make this Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's a here's a prophetic word for our ecclesia. And if you have your note sheet, feel free to um, draw along with me. Um, three circles. There's an inner circle, a middle circle, an outer circle, kind of an archery target. And the inner circle is reunion today. This is, this, is, this is who we are like right now, the current group of people who are here. And then this middle circle is reunion plus our friends. Let me do a little plus here. The outer circle is reunion plus our friends plus We'll, we'll call them the others. So um, when it comes to um, being the church, 
uh, Paul had his others, his, his group that comes to mind. He's thinking of the Gentiles, the, 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 the religious outsiders. But you and I have other people that we think of when we think of others. And I, I don't want to throw out categories because uh, I, I might distract you from actually who is supposed to come to mind for you. But when you think of another, when you think of somebody who would not belong here or doesn't think that they belong here or in other times has gotten the message that they don't belong here, um, you and I have groups of people that we go, man, I want to be a church that's a church for this group, for that person. Um, it can, reunion can become that kind of church for, for that person that you have in mind. But first, something is going to have to happen to us, to this group. This, this current group is going to need to die and be reborn, this current group. And here's what I mean. If, if we're going to reach the outsiders, um, if we're going to reach the others, the first step is to find ways to invite and include our, our friends, not the others. I know our hearts for them, but, but the first step is to reach our friends because they know you. They trust you. They have a relationship with you. Your, your invitation comes with a, a relationship where they would take that risk. They would take that step because they already know you. And, and our friends, our coworkers, the people that come to mind, they probably don't speak churchianity. They probably um, have some or zero background with Jesus or uh, for whatever reason, it, it just hasn't, they, they've stepped away from the church. And, but you know their story. You know their reasons why. And so you, you are the best bridge to your friends because you get them. That means that you're going to be the best person to do the work of any translating that needs to happen, any explaining, um, any helping them navigate God's new reality that's laid out in Ephesians because you know them, you, you care about them, you get them. But even if we do a good job, including our friends, there are going to be ways that you and I are going to need to die and be reborn. Now, what I mean, when, when, you hear, when you hear that, I just want to be clear. We, by being a church that's inclusive for outsiders, I don't mean that we're dying to the gospel. I don't mean that we're watering that down in any way. We are not compromising the message or truth in any way. The message stays, but maybe there's a mentality that needs to die. The biggest way that we're going to need to die, probably, is this mindset of this ecclesia reunion is a place to meet my needs. We'll need to die to that mindset. Singing the songs I want to sing, connecting with the people that I want to connect with, doing church in a way that makes me feel good, doing church in a way that I'm used to. We are dying to our style preferences. The point's gonna, the, the, we're going to reach that point. When, when, my, when my grandma Rosie was in her 80s, um, she had to counsel some other Christians, uh, some older Christians who were her age, and they were having a hard time um, with the new styles of how their church was gathering. And her counsel to, to her peers was, yeah, I, I know you're frustrated. I know you don't prefer this. I know you don't like this, the, the style of music or how we're doing things. But she let them know, hey, we, we've had our time. We have had our time. And now if we want this church to endure, if we want this to to be passed on to the next generation, we need to let it be their time. She was encouraging them to get used to being uncomfortable for things to no longer be the way that they preferred so that space could be made for others. And I'm hoping that we could say the same for the sake of others. I'm hoping we could have that same kind of attitude. 
Um, think about the words, um, make yourself at home or mi casa su casa. Um, sometimes you'll go somewhere and they actually, somebody has this up on their wall. And, and that makes a cute sign to put up on your wall. But we, we know when we've stepped into a house where that's actually true, right? Like there's certain houses that you step into and just immediately you just, you just know, okay, I, I, there's all these unspoken rules. Like I'm not, do I take my shoes off or on? Like, can I go into that room? The, you know, the, the carpet looks like vacuum, those perfect vacuum lines and everything. I think that's like some sacred holy space. I don't know if I'm supposed to sit there. We've been in those, in those houses, in those homes where there's all these unspoken rules about the environment, and you're just like, ugh, get me out of here. And mi casa su casa is not actually the philosophy of that place. On the other hand, we've been in environments where we feel like, man, I, I just was able to just immediately be at ease. They were looking after my needs. I could sit anywhere. I, I really could just make the place my own. When, when we're saying this, when we're saying mi casa su casa, we're saying I'm putting your needs ahead of mine. I'm okay if some stuff gets shuffled around here. This isn't about me. This is about us. I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here. I want you to be as comfortable as you can be. And if it's about us, then it's about our love for those people that are in our space. And if we really love somebody, then it's, it's not that hard to die to our style preferences if we really care about them because the relationship's more important. When, when our boys were born, Sarah and I gave up all kinds of style choices, including just keeping up with like current events and fashion, you know, where you're just like, I don't even have time to know what's cool anymore. But also just how much we slept and how we spent our money and how we did things with the furniture. We, we gave up all kinds of stuff like that. Is it hard? Sometimes. Last night was. Last night was tough. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We love these guys. Um, at Joaquin Miller Park, you'll see these groups of trees that are called fairy rings or fairy circles. Um, at one point, there was a large redwood tree, but that tree gave its life, and this new generation of trees grew up around the stump of that tree, often creating this near-perfect circle of new life, of younger trees that grow up. Some of those younger trees, even sometimes they send their roots down into each other or into the, the, the stump of the older tree itself, and it's like this one united tree. It's the coolest thing to see. And this is a picture of Jesus who gave his life for his church because he loves us. He made the space available for us. This is, this is a picture of a church that lays its life down for others. In our friend groups, at work, in our neighborhoods, in this church, if, if you and I love somebody, it's not too hard to die to our style preferences and to make space for them. They're worth it because we care about them. And at Reunion, if we can die to our style preferences because we love our friends, then this is really going to become a place for our friends. My casa now is our casa. And that's when we're going to be ready for the next stage. And here's the thing. It's not when we reach the others. It's when our friends become the bridge to the others. And this is a, this is a little hard for me to accept because I, I, I think, oh no, I'm going to be the bridge. I'm going to be the connector. I'm going to be, and it's really like about something that I think is self-serving for my own ego or whatever to feel like I'm such, this, such an awesome person that I'm going to make space for these people. But it's probably actually not going to be my part to play. It's going to be the, the part that my friends play. Our friends will have first received the message from us that I was willing that you were willing to die to our style preferences to make space for them, for our friends. And they are going to absorb that message and they're going to make it their own as then they become the bridge 
to the others, to the outsiders. And we're going to be like the proud parents who are watching our kids live out the family values because they've absorbed it. They've seen it. And they're going to do the work of translating and explaining and helping others navigate God's new reality that's laid out in Ephesians. And we're going we're gonna to die and be reborn every time it's time to make space for others. Dying to a gospel that's just about God saving me and realizing that it's about God saving and adopting and including us and the others. Why bother with the church? We bother because that's God's plan for the others. That's how God's going to do this. And it's going to involve us dying to ourselves so that they can be included. But if we love them, it's worth it. We can do it. If you would, um, close your eyes with me. And uh, the worship team can come up. So hold your hand in a fist, if you would. Hold your hand in a fist. And um, imagine that you hold in your hand the name or the face of someone who is an other, somebody that you're picturing, that you go, man, I just want them to know God's life and acceptance and friendship, but you know that there's things that are standing in the way. But hold their face or their name in your hand. And now, um, as an act of releasing control and entrusting this person to God, would you open your hand? And would you pray out loud with me? Would you, would you pray this prayer with me out loud? Repeat after me. Jesus, this is not our church. It's your church. This is not our mission. It's your mission. We are not their Savior. You are the Savior. All we are and all we have we place it at your disposal. Do with us. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Amen.